What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with and others who served time at other prisons. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. So, folks, one of the things that I really like about having this podcast is sometimes I can just be at home and just reading the newspaper and think, wow, that's a story. I want to talk to that person. And I've been lucky enough. Uh, Brandon Reed was a, was a person who was on podcast. And, uh, but I ran across an article, I think it was last Wednesday, and it just caught me. And I thought, man, that, this, is, this is good stuff. I want to read you a little bit about what this, the title of this was in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Felony record blocks nonprofit founder from becoming a foster parent. So that caught my attention. I was like, wow. So it, was, uh, it says, Chantel Fisher. I just wanted you guys to just get a little bit of taste of what I read so you'll know who I am talking to today. Chantel Fisher walked out of prison for the last time on her birthday. It was November 3rd, 2011. After a youthful existence caught up in a multiple felony charges, most for forgery or bad checks, Fisher was ready to turn things around. My case manager asked me a question, Fisher remembers. What do you want to do with your life? It was the first time anybody had asked me that question. Fisher had become a mother at 15, a convicted felon at 17, and by the time she was 19, she was in prison for the first time. Her new task, she decided, was to help women like her by teaching their children. Within six months of leaving prison, she had founded the Soul Fisher Ministries, a nonprofit that helps educate children whose parents are or have been incarcerated. And she went on to educate herself along with this. Uh, she got education uh, from a social work degree from the University of Missouri-St. Louis, graduate degrees from Washington University and Eden Theological Seminary. And she became a licensed clinical social worker and a drug and alcohol abuse counselor. And Chantel got turned down by, I mean, her, her job was, is in her passion in life is to help these kids. And so she, be, she wanted to become a foster mom on a personal basis because her daughter had, had grown and she got turned down by a state agency and two other agencies. He already approved her to do all the other things that she was doing. So... I want to welcome in Chantel Fisher. Thank you, Chantel, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here. So, Chantel, I, you know, you have one of those stories that everybody loves. You, 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 it sounds like, and let's go back and talk about how did you grow up? So, I grew up pretty normal, not abusive, never like molested or anything like that. Um, in my home, though, the thing was that if you did well in school, you could basically do what you wanted to do. So there weren't many checks and balances. So I bought into that idea. Okay. And so I did make great grades in school. I was very athletic. And so there were very few checks and balances. The I was more so on my older sister because she wasn't as strong academically. So then I pop up pregnant at 15 and they're like, 
Now, how many siblings do you have? I have an older, older sister, sister and then a younger brother. Um, who's okay, so you're the middle. I'm the, the knee baby. Okay, yeah, here the, we go. The brat. The brat. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got three daughters, <laughs> yes. and my middle daughter's getting the married okay. this weekend. So, yeah, she's my wild child. Yes, that was me, yeah. the brat. If I wasn't happy in the house, <laughs> exactly. nobody was happy in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and so I um, got pregnant at 15, no big deal. You know, of course, my parents were disappointed because I was the – I was not the, the daughter that they expected to wind up pregnant right. because I was so strong academically. Um, but that didn't stop me. You know, dropping out was never even a notion for me. My parents definitely wouldn't have it. So they were like, you go, you go to school, you come home, you get your baby. And so that's basically what I did. And um, because I was so far ahead academically, always extremely bright, as I shared, I was able to graduate at 16. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, that's impressive. Yeah, so I graduated from high school at 16. Um, and then, you know, now I think I'm grown because yeah. I finished school. So I moved out on my own at 17, not knowing how yeah. how much of a struggle it would be sure. with a young kid. And so I had my checking account. And so just trying to make ends meet, not wanting to have to rely on my parents, even though I could. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once you get out there, you don't want to go back with your tail tucked between your legs. Yeah. So I just tried to do it on my own. What I didn't know is that if you wrote a check and didn't have money in the bank, it was a felony. It's insufficient funds. I didn't know that. I yeah. was 17. A lot of people at that age don't know that. <laughs> exactly. And so that's how I wound up um, getting in trouble for the first time. And so when they finally um, caught up with me, I had like nine different municipalities that I had written these checks in. And so I had to do a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had some money on me. And so I paid an attorney and I paid a bondsman. And the bondsman was like, I'll meet you at each municipality. At the last one, the attorney will be there with you. And so the attorney, he did that. And the attorney was there. And then now it's the court proceedings. My parents don't know anything about that. They were never involved with the criminal justice system, and they did not have a, a manual that says what to do if your kid becomes incarcerated. Right. And so they trusted the attorney, and they trusted the justice system to be just. Mm-hmm. So when the attorney tells them, hey, you know, I got this deal. If she pleads guilty, she can go back home with you today on probation, and it's over. So what do you think they tell me to do? They tell me to go in and plead guilty so you can get this over. Right, with. get it out of here. Go, go. You're <laughs> but, good. Yes. Yeah. What they neglect, what he neglected to tell them was that she'll be a felon for the for rest, the of, her rest life. of her life. Right, which is a life sentence. Yeah, it yeah. was a life sentence. Yeah, and they didn't have any idea that it would be. So what happens after that? So I tried my luck at probation. Yeah. Um, it 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 didn't work. Yeah. And so you know, once you violate probation, you go to prison. And so that's how I wound up going to prison when I was 19. And um, once you get that stamp of a felon, it's just life is just never the same. Yeah. So I was working at a bank. Yeah. Like that could never happen again, right? Yeah. So now I'm still basically stuck at 17 trying to figure life out because now I'm also a felon, something that was totally new to me. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with my life? And everywhere I went, the doors were slammed. So I go to prison. I do two years. I get out. Well, let's talk about that, okay. though. Okay. Let's talk about because you you're going in at what nineteen years old? Mm-hmm, nineteen. Um, unfamiliar world. Very. I mean, I don't care how much people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're 
how do you get? How did you get to prison? Did, did you were you voluntarily surrendered? No did, way. How I did wish, it happen? I wish they took me. I had you know gotten arrested because of the probation violation. Yeah. You don't get a bond on a probation violation most often mm-hmm. times. You don't. So I didn't. I went. I got my sentence, which was four years. I was supposed to go and do like eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't happen um, because again I get there and. You know, they want you to do like this work in food service. What was your feel? What was your, how did you, when you walked into the place, Chantel, because you're a very likable person. What was, when, when you walked in that first day, were you scared? Uh, What did it feel like to you as, as walking into this? This is your world now. I wasn't, I I don't believe I was really afraid um, because I've always been like the fight or flight type of person. So I'm ready you ready? I'm ready. We're going to fight it out. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I don't think I was scared, but I didn't really know what to expect. Right. Of course, I the was unknown. concerned about my kid. Yeah. You know, that was my baby. At Two that, years old. Uh, at that, Now she's five. Five years old. And now when I go to prison, she's five, almost five, not yeah. quite five. And so she was my biggest concern. Sure. And so um, I'm so grateful for her dad. We were not together. We broke up when she was like nine months, but he's always been that constant. That's great. In her life, in my life, and through two marriages, he just made it clear, like, this is a place I'm going to be. Her mom is, you know, she's struggling. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of issues going on, and I don't plan to move away from where I am in that. And so they both were great stepmoms to my daughter. Um, He's still an exceptional dad. Um, That's great. He is. And so, (laughs) So you, um, so your time when you were in prison, your, your husband, or not husband, but your, the dad of your, uh, is it a girl, boy? Girl. Girl. So that was a great thing to happen. Yeah, it was. How did you, like in your, in the prison world, because we were just talking about this, Chantel, before we got on, there's that, that great line in, in Shawshank, you get busy living or get busy dying. There's really only two kinds of prisoners, the ones that are trying to make things happen and not lose themselves, and the other ones that are kind of drawn up in a fetal position. What was your strategy getting through there? Was to try to just do what I could do to get back home to my baby as mm-hmm. quick as I could. Um, I was not a model prisoner. Um, because I was spoiled, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And I think that was kind of like the demise that my parents kind of did unknowingly set me up for. Like they didn't prepare me like for the reality of the world. You do good and you basically do what you want to do, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of expected that same um, narrative when yeah. I went to prison and it's just not like that, mm-hmm. which is why I wound up doing a tad bit longer than the eight months that I was supposed to do. Um, but during that time, um, my family was still there. I got to see my kids, so she was there and he was there, so I was able to get through it. I'm also just a likable person, even like through my mess, like I would cuss the guards out and <laughs> you yeah, know, that's some pent up uh, <laughs> yeah, anger. Yeah, telling what I'm not gonna do, I'm not doing that. Go ahead, take me to the hole. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I can handle it. Yes, but they still just liked me, right? Yeah. Um, I was just a likable person. I always have been very persuasive. I could convince them why they should give me room restriction and not send me to the yeah, hole. You and, can negotiate. <laughs> yeah. And so I did that very well for those two years while I was there. And a lot of the older women that were there, they saw that I was just this young, like confused girl. Yeah. And they kind of like took me under their wings. And so when they did that, they came, they kind of gave me some street cred yeah. in the in the penitentiary. Yeah. And that's good to have street cred. It, it, yeah. yeah. When, when you're, when you're in prison, it's good to have street cred. <laughs> Yeah, 
Okay, so you start knowing that you're getting out. Um, what what are you thinking? So I'm thinking I'm gonna go home, get my baby, yeah. of course, get a job, and move on with my life. It's not that simple though no. when you're a convicted felon, right? You know, I, I've never been a fast food kind of girl. I, at 15, I worked at Popeyes, lasted three days. So that just wasn't an option for me. And to get anything else that was worth having was next to impossible. And um, so if you don't, if you if you don't have somebody, know somebody that know somebody that know somebody that can help you get a decent job, then you go back to doing what you know how to do. Right. And, and that's hustle. That's and I did that extremely well. Yeah. And so that's what I went back to each time that I got out. Each time you got out. So you finally get uh for the last time in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times when, when things happen, they, you know, they say that there's, there's a moment or a time or something where your mindset changes. And in the article, it, it, it was that, it sounded like that this case manager asked you a question and you came to an answer. Is that something you had been thinking about that this is going to be um, from this point forward, my world is going to be different or I'm going to tackle things or do things different. How did that, how did that all come about? It happened well before then. So that the day that I got arrested, which was June 9th of 2006, I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. I surrendered my life to Christ. And I've really never been the same since. So I knew that I would not go back to prison. So Fisher Ministries, seven degrees, no, <laughs> like, yeah. no inclination that that's what happened in my life. And so um, when I got to federal prison, so I ended up in federal prison that last time. I did two and a half years in state and then went and did three years in Wasika. Well, I FBI. got a question for you because I was in federal and, and you were in state and federal. What? What did you see as the differences between those two? Well, you get a lot more stuff at the state. Yeah. Like you can have your own TV, your own radio. I've and heard that. You're not, it's not rocking like that in the face. Uh-uh. You got that TV room. Yeah. You got to argue over who watching <laughs> what. <laughs> yeah. So I stayed out the TV room. Yeah. Yeah. Fights can happen, especially if somebody gets up and tries to manually change yes. the channel on yes. TV. Yeah. <laughs> so I stayed out, out of the TV room. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really where that shift for me happened. Okay. And then when I got to um, FCI Wasika, so you know the first place they want to put you in food service. Well, yeah. I'm not still not I'm still not a food service girl mm-hmm. all of these years later. And so they say, Well, you got a week to find your job or they're gonna put you in food service. So I go to education. I had dropped like three or four kites, and I never heard anything back. So I said, I'm just going down here to education. Mm-hmm. And I talked to this guy, Mr. Harper, who wound up being my boss. And so um, he was like, yeah, we just haven't had time to go through them. And I said, but you don't understand. I need to get a job between before a week so I don't go in food service. He said, well, what's, what's, your, what's your strongest subject? I said, math. He said, what was your name again? <laughs> and so he went and found my kite, my kite and the rest is history. And while I was there in prison, I built this whole GED program because they had just opened FCI Wasika for women. They had shipped the men yeah. out and opened it for women. And so they had this backlog of women on the list waiting to get in GED class. So I go and I, I they, he asked me, can you just create an algebra class? So I said, yeah, I'll create an algebra class. And so at the end of it, he's like, what do you think? I said, I think you can teach algebra in eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. They never were able to teach me algebra. <laughs> and so then I split it up to algebra one, algebra two, yeah. and algebra three. He was like, well, what about a basic math class? And what about this kind of class? And before you know it, I have built this whole ACE program. 
a HGED program at the prison there. Very cool. And so people that were going through the ACE program were graduating, getting a GED at rates like five times the rate of the people that were in the traditional GED class. And that had to be, Chantel, filling you up, making you feel good that you were doing something that was helping others in an environment mm -hmm. that is not that great yeah. to be in. Yeah, it, it did. It made me feel exceptionally great. I had always, like, had a good heart. Even when I was hustling, I would always look out for moms that were really strung out mm -hmm. or, you know, kids that really didn't have enough food to eat. I would just go, and even though I'm writing bad checks, I'll bring back, like, a car full of groceries yeah. and, you know, things like that. So I've always had that, that heart to help people. But one thing that I didn't realize is that God was using that work in Waseca FCI to prepare me to get out and start an after-school program. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, I mean, I, I, when you're telling me this story, that almost that sounds like the genesis of where that yeah. all came from. Yeah. You, you got into education, you yeah. put the programs yeah. together, and soul, uh, the, your, the ministry that you put together, Soul Fisher Ministries, is that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, exactly you put the that. whole program together. Exactly that. And wow. if I hadn't done it in, in prison, yeah. so, you know, you always think, why me, why yeah. me? But if I had not done that in prison, I don't think I would be doing that today. And I think, you know, we talk about this on this program because there's there's two ways to look at something that happens to you. You can be a victim mm -hmm. and you can blame everybody and it's everybody's fault. And we kind of live in that society right now. But it also takes away all your strength and, and it makes you small. Whereas what you did, Chantel, you took a situation and you became a survivor in it. You flipped the script on yourself and that gave you strength. And not only that, it created really a path for you for when you get out, mm -hmm. you create this fantastic idea of something you don't even have to think about because you're, you have a passion for it anyway, because you know, these kids need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And you're also really smart and you've, you know, education now. Mm -hmm. I like I it. it. It's good stuff. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> like never in a million years would I thought that think would have thought that that was why no, I it's was good stuff. what I, I did. I, really... I did it to stay out of food service. Yeah. Well, you don't like food service. <laughs> <laughs> See, I worked in the, I worked at the food warehouse uh -huh. and the food warehouse was better than the food service yeah. because we had all the food and we had forklifts and we had stuff that was kind of, we, I think we, we, Fed like 21 or 2,200 people, but we got to eat up there. Oh. So that was better. Yes. Because you don't want to be in food service down in the mountain. No, no, I, no. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but I think the other thing that's interesting about all that is, is that you, you were kind of working this percentages of the bad percentages of what we talk about. And that, that is, you know, two thirds go back in three years and three fourths go back in five years, but you broke the mold. Mm -hmm. You decided, Hey, it's not going to happen to me anymore. Yeah. So it gets close to you getting out. Have you kind of worked all this in your head that I'm ready, I'm jumping when I get? So I had done that that day in St. Louis County Jail, but who really helped me was my case manager there at the prison. So she made she helped me do the FAFSA. Um, she helped me contact the college, St. Louis Community College, and request the application. So I submitted my application. And I even think about the day that I called. Like, like God was just, like, orchestrating all of these things. 
things in my life. And I call that day to the prison, and you know, you answer the phone, you have a call from an inmate yeah. at da 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 da. It's not a great first impression. But he took the call. Took the call. His name is Professor Steve Bay. I'm forever grateful to yeah. him, and we're still great friends today. And he took the call. How can I help you, Chantel Fisher? So I let him know who I am and what I want to do when I get out. And he made a statement that was so proud, so profound for me. He said, well, Chantel, I'm less concerned about where you've been, and I'm more concerned about where you're going. Mm. He said, if you're serious, when you get out, contact me, and we'll take it from there. And I did, and we did. And so from there, I was able to excel because, again, I'm just as smart today. Yeah. As I was, as you were then, then. didn't take your brain. <laughs> did at all, at all, and so I did the whole two-year degree program in one year. Um, was nominated to Phi Theta Kappa. Um, was nominated to apply for the All Missouri Academic Scholarship. Applied one, which afforded me a full ride to UMSO. Yeah. And since they were paying for it, I said, "Well, I'm gonna go for the gusto." So I did two bachelor degrees: one in education, I love it. one in media studies. I did <laughs> you just a took minor, it all. So I just took it all. <laughs> I'm getting all the money. Y'all say it's the sky's the limit. <laughs> We're gonna get the full meal deal. <laughs> and so I went there. It was supposed to take me four years to do all of the degrees. I did them in two. Yeah. Um, and so from there, one of my professors from the Honors College at UMSL says, you know, WashU has this amazing program. It's an MSW MDiv. And I was like, what's an MDiv? She said, well, you have to go to seminary. And I'm like, oh, I definitely can't go to seminary. I thought that was a place like nuns. Right, you turn into a nun. Right. <laughs> go. I was like, I definitely can't yeah. do that. And so she explained it to me. And I said, I'm probably not smart enough to go to WashU. And she was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so I applied to both schools, got accepted to both schools, and WashU gave me a full fellow. Wow. So I'm an Olin fellow, um, and that afforded me full tuition at both of the colleges. So went through community college, L, um, undergrad, and um, graduate school tuition free. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. 4.0 all the way through. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about Soul Fisher Ministries. So our mission of Soul Fisher Ministries is to respond to the needs of youth with incarcerated parents and to promote restorative justice for those currently or formerly incarcerated and so we accomplish our mission through two programs. One is our Educate Now to Achieve Later program, and that's our free after-school tutoring and enrichment program, and it operates in the Riverview Garden School District. So we've been in the district for eight years now. We're um, four sites. We're at three elementary schools, um, the middle school, and then we have two summer sites as well, so a total of six sites. And we go in Monday through Friday, and we provide tutoring and math, reading, and ELA. Then we provide a host of enrichment. So we partner with an organization called Bricks for Kids, and they come in and they introduce our kids to the basics of robotics. We partner with the organization called Dream Builders for Equity, and they host our chess club. So they do it's called the Black Squares Chess Club. We partner with Circus Harmony, so the people that do the circus down at the City Museum, mm -hmm. and they teach our kids how to do circus as a form of um, social-emotional um, learning. We partner with Girls on the Run, which is a girls' health and wellness um, empowerment program. And then we also use the um, social work degree programs around St. Louis, and we use those practicum students to come in and facilitate our RISE leadership groups. And in those groups, they get to discuss topics that youth don't normally get to discuss, like self-esteem, um, setting boundaries, building healthy relationships, anti-bullying, things like that. And they love Arise. Like wow. kids love Arise. Let me ask you a question on that, though, Shanta. How does, how does a child find you? How do, how do they get to the program? Do, do they have to be recommended, or is it, do they find the kids and then they become part of the program? Like, how does, how does that – how does it – how does an incarcerated family find you? So we're at the schools. 
Um, the schools know better than we do, and so they recommend. Okay. Um, the great thing about it, our program is that we have them longitudinally. Okay. So we have sibling groups. Like once you get in Soul Fisher, it's like a family thing. I love that. <laughs> well, you know, the reason I ask that is because the, the, when we don't we don't think of it like this, but it really is when it, when somebody gets put in prison, their family gets mm-hmm. goes through and is really in prison. They, they go through the whole experience. It's just they go through it on the outside, and they have to deal with all the different pieces. And you're really grabbing, scooping these people up and helping them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably something to that. There's some familiarity with all these kids are somewhat going through the same steps at the same time, mm-hmm. probably dealing with it differently. But they're, it's almost like an AA program of, of kids that are dealing with a uh, life event. Mm-hmm that they're trying to get through. And then some of our kids who don't may not have an incarcerated parent, they're performing two to three grade levels below expectations, which research shows that they're on the trajectory to enter the criminal justice yeah. system. Well, <laughs> I was with so many kids that were foster kids in yeah. the, uh, at Leavenworth. And it was because the, the system didn't work the way that it should have. And I, and you know, a lot of the guys I talked to, they, they said that they weren't, willing to be a part of uh, the help at the time too. So, you know, it's just great to hear that there's people like you that have gotten in and it's really a passion of yours and you, and you understand both sides of it, which is really, I think the glue of the whole thing. I can remember when, because we're licensed through the state. So all of our centers are licensed childcare centers, all of them. And so when I first applied to be the directors, because it's my program, so I kind of have to be, they denied me. Yeah. And then I peeled it, and they were, like, back and forth with each other. Like, this kind of doesn't this? make sense. Yeah. Like, uh, it's her organization. It's her program. Like, we got to kind of have to let her, like, yeah. do this. And so they finally approved for me to be the director over hundreds of kids. So yeah. we have hundreds of kids in our program. That you're over. That I'm over. <laughs> well, and that gets us, that kind of gets us, Chantel, to the whole thing that started with the article that I think brought so much angst or frustration or just frust- I guess frustration is the word. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. You're, you're over hundreds of kids. You're doing great things. You, you've gotten out and you've gotten educated and you've turned your life into something that, that people can model themselves after. And you can go speak to people and tell them how, you know, to watch out for the potholes. And then you want to, because your daughter's gotten older, uh, be in the foster parent program and you reach out, and and it's a third agency, right? Mm-hmm. And they deny you, mm-hmm. not only once but twice. Mm-hmm. You appeal it, mm-hmm. and I I don't know. I, what's your, how do you feel? Whether what could happen? What needs to happen for that not to happen? So they really need to um, look at it as a case by case basis. Yeah, um, I know. Like there, uh, most of the like negative feedback centered around the statement where I had the assault, mm-hmm. so violence against a person. Like that's the official reason that they claim they denied me. Mm-hmm. But the full facts of the case say that me and my boyfriend had a fight 27 years ago. We both got an assault charge against each other. Mm-hmm. The judge said you stay away from each other and stay away from me for two years, and it won't be on your record. Suspen- uh, suspended imposition of uh-huh. sentence, and, yeah. And, but it is on my record. Yeah, it always is. You know, <laughs> you know that, that's the thing. When you find out that you are in, uh, you go through sentencing and all that. Any of that stuff that they say is gone, it never not, leaves. It never not. leaves. Like, I'm, because you can't You don't know that, but they, they, they tell you that. Mm-hmm. But then if you get in trouble, mm-hmm. somehow it just 
comes at and I you. I can understand you, it if you're getting in trouble. Yeah. Them being able to access it. But I wasn't getting in trouble. I was trying to offer my, my home to a kid. Exactly. You know, and it's it's not it's not on CaseNet. Right. You know, so you can't just go on CaseNet. Right. And no, find, they can find it. They don't they ever get rid of it. Found right. It, right. And that's just not fair. Because that's not what the court system tells us. You're supposed to be just, right? It's the justice system. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the, you know, backing up a little bit because you know you said you know at 19 years old you didn't realize that when you become a felon and then an ex-felon no matter what because there's people that have different opinions Mm -hmm. but you're always an ex-felon and you live with that for the rest of your life and I think um, I mean what you've done with your life has been outstanding and I guess what with the situation that you find yourself in now that you appealed and were denied. So what, what's, what's another step that you can take to right the wrong? So what I'm trying to do now is find another way to possibly appeal the, 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 the local appellate um, judge's decision and, and move it forward or just find a way to maybe get that policy changed yeah. so that I can reapply. Um, and they said that I could reapply, but in my mind, why? Because nothing about my record will be different. It'll all be the same. It'll be the same. So it doesn't make sense for you to tell me to reapply in three years. Because in three years, the SIS will still be there. I can't even get the SIS expunged because the record is closed. Right, right. Wow. So I've had an attorney look into it to try to, well, let's just get this off. Let's just get it expunged and you can't. Yeah. Because it's already closed. And I I think that's the thing that... um, for people who have been through all this, mm-hmm. you know, you go along, you go along, you think you're doing good, it's all great, and then you get kicked and punched in the gut, and you're yeah. like, oh, man, that's still there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you, and it's it's not that all the good stuff still isn't happening. You still have all this great stuff that's happening, Chantel, and you're doing all these great things with kids, but it's, it's like a side blind punch it because is. you start feeling like, hey, I'm out, I'm making my way. I'm doing the things I need to be doing and I feel good and I'm, I'm doing something I'm passionate about. And then somebody just comes up and, mm-hmm. and hits you between the eyes and you're like, Oh yes, man. Yes. Okay. That's still there. Yeah. And then what another, uh, what a lot of people don't know about me is that when I fight these fights, I'm not just doing it for me. I'm doing it for those that come behind me. Absolutely. So now almost any formerly incarcerated person, convicted felon can knows can learn how to be become a licensed clinical social worker. Yeah. Now, in, almost any now knows how to go and get a, a letter of exceptions from the Department of Mental Health so they can become right, a you're certified a drug and alcohol counselor. Right. So it's not a just about me. There are a lot of formerly incarcerated people that can be great foster parents. Sure. So I'm trying to forge the way, not just for me, but for those coming behind me. Well, because I, think, I believe that's what I'm called to and do. I, and I think that's there, there was a person who wrote a letter after your article, and I thought they had some interesting statistics in here too, Chantel. With um, it says each year in Missouri, around thirteen thousand people are released from the prisons and jails. Many of them with a desire for a second chance, like Chantel Fisher, with the talent and skills to be productive members of the communities they return to. On a national scale, seventy-five percent of these people remain unemployed after one year, and only fifty-five percent have any income. And that's the thing that I think, you know, you, you know, we wonder why do these people end up back in prison? Well, if you can't find a place to live and find a job, um, 
there's a good chance that you're going to fall back into something that you're trying to survive and that's, and you're on probation or whatever. And that throws you back into the world of the prison. You know, I think there, and there's a lot of things out there too, Chantel, that people aren't aware of in the business community where there's even benefits to them to hire people Mm -hmm. that have a record. Mm -hmm. It's an ex felon. So there's a lot of different things out there that, what you and I were talking about, it, it's, it's awareness for a lot of people. It's, it's, you know, there are people out there trying to make things work. There's people out there that are looking for a second chance. And, and there's also from the business community reasons why you, sh- you might want to take a chance on these people because they really want an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, the two worlds need to be bridged. They do. They do. So I, I often speak to employers because I try to bridge that gap too and open the doors and we're building a portfolio of employers that really do hire yeah. um, formerly incarcerated people. And the, one of the first questions I ask them after I do my spiel and they learn all my credentials is like, who would hire me? Mm-hmm. And almost every hand goes up. They're more me. Yeah. It's not just me. There right. are a whole, a whole lot bunch of, of you. me right. out here that need jobs. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have corporations in our portfolio that you know normally hadn't been open to this so we do our successful second chance employer panels and we invite employers to come in and learn about it then we invite people who are already in our portfolio to come and talk about their experiences and so now we're starting this new internship program where employees get to try out employees for 90 days i like that we pay for it it doesn't cost you anything and at the end with the promise if it's a match, so you, the employee wants to stay with you because they have the, the right to say, I don't want to be here. Sure. And, and you right, have neither right, one's held hostage. Uh-huh, you're the right, have a right to say we want to hire them. Then at the end, you hire them with a livable wage, with upper mobility, yeah. a possibility, right. and full benefits. I like that <laughs> a yeah. lot. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? It's, it's our new program. We just launched it, and already our portfolio is growing. See, that's I, the type yeah. thing. <laughs> Chantel, yeah. that that's the stuff that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be somebody that's got um, the brains mm-hmm. to push it and the experience to know where you're coming from. You know, you, you're believable. You, you're talking about you get up and talk to these kids mm-hmm. um, at high schools and get up and talk to judges and, and attorneys and different people. That You're speaking from a place where you come from and it's real. You're not selling something because you read it in a book. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're talking because you've lived it. And like you said, there's a whole bunch of you. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's 25 million. A whole bunch of us. Ex-felons in the United States. <laughs> and there's a bunch of those people that if given the opportunity, they could benefit society in even more of a better way than what they're allowed to do right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just trying to create that path. And, like you said earlier, the, a better understanding between uh, people who aren't that familiar with people who've been to prison and and the people who've been to prison that they come together in some way mm-hmm. that like we're doing right now we're just right. talking just talking just talking we're not going to hurt anybody right at all I promise <laughs> <laughs> that's my past but yeah and then God connects me to such like amazingly influential people yes 
like Bob Fox, Maxine Clark, yeah. like Wesley Bell, um, Dan, Dana Sandwise, just all of these amazing people in these huge influential positions. Jamila Nasheed, when she was senator, Brian um, Williams, who's now senator, working on expungement. So I had the, my hand in helping to create the new expungement bill. Yeah. Like when I got out, Jay Nix, we worked with him. I'm like, 20 years, look, in 20 years, sir, I won't need an expungement. Right. I'll be so old. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be over. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. But can we get that lowered? And he lowered it to seven. That was a, one of the last things he did yeah. before he went out of office. And now it's down to three years. After three years, you can get an expungement. But we're still working on it because it's still flawed, because it's still that one felony. Most people don't have one felony. You all capitalize off plea bargains. Yes. We'll run it together if you plead guilty. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how... Chantel, what what do you see going forward? You've you've accomplished so much to this point. What what's what's your future, Chantel? What's so what's going? Soul Fisher is still just local. Um, yeah. We we see ourselves see as national? a national organization, yeah. and that's kind of what we're moving toward. And like I said, we have such a huge um, portfolio of supporters that are willing to make that happen. Um, and I'll be a foster parent. Like oh, I will. know I will. Well, no and you are now mind. to hundreds, hundreds of kids. Yeah. You're just, they're not living with yeah. you at home. Yeah. Even their parents, when they have issues, they're, they're like, I'm calling Miss Fisher. Yeah. And they'll be like, please don't. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't call that lady. Please. Like, yeah. So <laughs> if I just, I th I'm, I'm so glad we got to talk because this, like I said, this is a uh, an opportunity for me when I have an opportunity to read something and then bring somebody to a platform where you can talk and they can listen. And I love it because your story is so good and it's so real. And I don't know you, Chantel, but so proud of you on, you on what you've done. It's just, it's just, it could be a movie. You could you'd make a good movie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah. let me ask you this. If you look at everything that you've gone through, and what you've had to live through to get to where you are now. For the listeners out there, what, what do you think your takeaway is from what you've experienced? I would what would say, you impart to them? I would impart to them, like, don't get caught up on where you've been. Like, stay focused on where you are and where you're going. Yeah. And so uh, we didn't talk about it, but our reentry program, and that's what we teach the women yeah. in that program, is to, like, we work with them from the beginning on not learning what their purpose is and then setting goals that align with them reaching that purpose. Don't worry about the past. Like, there's nothing that you can do to change it. Like, it's yours for keeps. I love it. You cannot undo it. Yeah. So why trip off of it? Right. Carry it along with you and still be committed to having a great life. Yeah. Like my past is still my past. Right. But I have an amazing life that I absolutely love living every single yeah. day that God allows me to see it. So don't worry about your past. Stay focused on where you are today. Do what you can today to be better, to get better and to do better. And then focus on where you're going. I love it. Yeah. Love that. That should be a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, this has been good. Chantel, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, everybody, the uh, the likes and subscribing, uh, share it out there. Yes. Share it. We're, we're, we share it to as many people as you can. Um, anybody that's looking for a book, I wrote one, Nightmare Success. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh and uh, I used to sign off when I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Whenever I would be on my core links typing away, I'd say, stay strong, and I'll do the same. Thank you, everybody, for being here today. Nightmare success in and out.